according to the DC Comics database, Lobo is an ultra-violent, motorcycle-riding, intergalactic bounty hunter. Born on the planet Zarnia, he killed every other member of his race for a high school science experiment and then gave himself an A on the assignment. In addition to incredible strength, he has an accelerated healing factor that will completely regenerate his entire body from even a single cell. Despite his sadistic and vulgar attitude, he has a deep personal code of honor and will never break his word. That's how this outlaw, space biker, bounty hunter ended up working for the licensed extra-governmental interstellar operatives network, a.k.a. Legion, an interplanetary security force run by a brilliant green-skinned Kaluan named Vril Dox. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he's part of the same lineage as the Brainiacs that have been known to fight Superman or, in the 30th century, are key members of the Legion of Superheroes. Malobo was intended to be a parody of tough guy anti-heroes, but then he developed a fan base, obviously in the early 90s, and he just became DC's version of those crummy types of characters. And just to show what an aberration the reprehensible Lobo's popularity was at DC, his annual was used to kick off the first round of the rather graphic Bloodlines event, Outbreak, even though he didn't actually have an ongoing series yet. Lobo was at Legion headquarters preparing to torture a perp who was associated with the Poipo mob, which had sold the main man's space bike. He was called off by Strata under orders from Vril Docks, who had a mission for Bo. Officer Layla and her squad would be joining Lobo, which prompted the usual sexual harassment and the need of the crotch. Lucky them's tough stones, babe! Now, if you know anything about the Bloodlines annuals, you know that each one was designed to debut a new hero or villain that was intended to go on to great fortune and fame though of course most amounted to nothing and Layla was one of the laziest of the lot for starters why is she called Layla? because Eric Clapton's unplugged album had come out the previous year and his acoustic version of Layla became a big radio hit now she looks like a punk rocker in tight fitting biker gear with a two foot tall mohawk that's purple why does she look like that? because she was probably modeled after Taryn the heroin addicted dream warrior from A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 that had come out a few years earlier nobody was putting any more effort into this than they absolutely had to. So back to the story. Docs was eventually allowed to begin his debriefing. Twelve hours ago, a space liner en route to Tau Ceti witnessed a most unusual event, a rift or end in the fabric of space. Fortunately, the captain had the presence of mind to focus his external cameras. Docs showed footage of a rough-hewn brown mass exiting the rift. That's all they got before a wide band interference from the warp disrupted the electrical systems and they had to leave the area. Layla's team, including Lobo, would be sent to investigate. To encourage Bo, Docs mentioned that the Poiple gang had also been reported in the vicinity. Lobo wasn't inclined to follow anyone, but he'd sworn an oath to follow Docs' orders long ago. So what sets me apart from the herd? Docs also felt this would be a trial by fire for Layla, who was proving herself as an exceptional candidate to join the core Legion team. Meanwhile, the Poiple gang, more accurately described as space pirates, were preparing to raid the mysterious vessel. The usual lack of hailing replies, warning it's made of unknown materials, etc. were applied beforehand. You've seen the alien movies, you know what I'm talking about. As the Poipo gang struggled to burn their way into the curious vessel, Layla's ship approached the site. Lobo was anxious to wreak havoc, and Layla had no reservations about indulging him, seeing as the gang were wanted dead or alive. Be my guest. Just don't hit the alien ship. The main man fired the ship's lasers in an ongoing barrage. The Poipo gang's craft was damaged beyond repair. First mate Smee, a heavy-set bearded ginger, killed one of his own for a spacesuit. Meanwhile, Lobo made a point of avoiding Captain Poipo so he could be done personal-like. A few gang members made it into the ship, so Lobo decided to try to get frisky with Layla before the upcoming penetration and earn another slap in the face. 
Nobody rejects the main man twice, Iceberg. Get ready to rumble. Lobo was distracted by one of Layla's officers, giving her time to hypnotize Bo with a pendant she carried. You want to behave like a dog, Lobo? You'll be treated like a dog. Sit, boy. While still articulate, Lobo acted as a hunting hound for Layla as they tracked gang members of the alien craft. As expected, the walls were organic, conventional means of analysis ineffective, yada yada. Layla's primary officer was a dreadlocked black male named Zimbler, who took point with a second investigative squad as the group split up. The various intruders had awakened the native aliens within the vessel from a suspended animation, and they were hungry. The vessel also had its own automated defenses, which began killing Legion officers. Lobo had been struggling to overcome Layla's conditioning without success, so it was some relief to be let off his leash to sick the enemy. Laser weapons were completely ineffective against the automatons, who ripped officers limb from limb. Lobo applied the same brute force, ripping the head off a dome-headed bastard. Meanwhile, Smee was confronted by three of the Bloodline's aliens. One, the gluttonous Glant had assumed a human form, Smee's. The aliens were ravenous, and in the face of Smee's negotiation attempts, Angon declared, This is of no concern to us. He must die. All must die. Smee's weapon was useless as Gonth resumed his alien normal form and drained the life out of the back of Smee's neck. Zimbler's team was lured into a trap by Glant's Smee form and devoured by more aliens. Praetor took Zimbler's life and then his form. The other aliens did the same with their officers, but all were disgusted to find these subjects' essence were bitterly repellent. Layla's team fought off the aliens, but were conned by Glanth, who attacked from behind. Only Lobo's sense of smell offered any advance warning. Glanth looked like a Smee, didn't smell like a Smee. Lobo took a nasty slice of the ribs. You pug ugly bastard! I'll learn you to go spill in the main man's blood! Layla wasn't fooled when Zimbler's team came calling, recognizing they're shapeshifters. Gloth managed to take a drag off Lobo's neck, but found him fabrication. Layla jumped into the fray to rescue Bo, but proved to taste your dish for slod. Lobo managed to separate the two with a grenade, but the rest of the team was now dead. Bo considered leaving the unconscious Layla behind for that mutt crap but decided one save deserved another. While the Bloodline's aliens were highly resilient during this crossover, Lobo's grenade managed to kill Slot. Praetor noted, We are only six now. We can afford to lose no more. Else our mission may be seriously imperiled. Angon continued, As it stands now, our shape-shifting will be extremely restricted. Gloth concluded, No mercy. When we find him, kill him. But save the female. Her juices were perfect. Lobo was attacked by Eugene Poiple, a.k.a. Captain Poiple, and vicious combat ensued. Once the main man learned the gang had celebrated stealing Lobo's bike by setting it on fire, the captain's life came to a grisly end. Lobo tossed the corpse at an approaching alien and bolted. The main man set a series of explosives, then tore the pendant Lele had used on him off her neck. Lobo needn't have bothered, as the recovering Layla was struck with amnesia. Lobo tried to trick Layla into believing they were lovers, but his disgusting snail-tongue kiss convinced her otherwise. Bo received another kick to the man parts, but this time with enough force to double him over in pain. Layla had gained superhuman strength and invulnerability from her bloodline's encounter, and could take as much punishment as he dealt. Lobo was reminded of his explosives and the paired apart of the vessel for the vacuum of space, until they reached their legion craft. A hasty retreat was beat, though the detonation did the bloodline's little harm. Lobo assumed otherwise in his video report to Docs, who demanded more concrete answers, but was instead exposed to Lobo's Dark Side of the Moon, literally his ass. This story, Hounds of Blood, was by Alan Grant and Christian Alami. The former was on autopilot, while the latter was in full-on Simon Bisley imitation mode. Alami's anatomy was actually much better than the Biz's, as was his clarity and consistency of quality. In fact, Alami essentially married the erratic, primal Biz to the clean, crisp, Swanderson-esque art Barry Kitson had provided for Lobo's parent title, Legion. It was quite the bipolar feat. 
this wasn't my first Lobo comic and it wouldn't be my last. I actually liked Lobo at this point in time as long as his co-creator Keith Giffen was involved in the projects because Giffen always treated the character as satirical and I enjoyed the comedy. In particular, the Lobo paramilitary Christmas special or the Lobo's Back miniseries where he keeps getting reincarnated in increasingly less desirable forms. But as Lobo got more and more popular with people who didn't seem to get the joke, Giffen came to hate the character and he wasn't alone. DC Editorial hated Lobo. They avoided giving him a series for many years. He kept spitting out miniseries and they kept hoping he would die off. But the fact is, Lobo's appearances were helping to keep Legion as a team book going. Alan Grant was plugging him into the Demon series, which made that run the longest in that character's history. And so finally, in 1993, DC gave in and Lobo got his own book, which ran for about five years. And again, Lobo is one of those characters. When I had my comic shops, there's always like one or two guys who would come in and the only thing they wanted were Lobo comics. I personally hated the Lobo solo series. I wasn't a fan of Alan Grant's work in general. And I think that he actually had continued for the material himself I really got the sense that he was just grinding out crude cruel stories for the audience that he determined was out there for them and he didn't care and certainly this particular entry would back that up this is not a well-written book at all it's extremely derivative my feeling is that usually DC would do their bookends where they would start the annual theme event in one bookend and then end in the other for some reason this year and I believe only this year they decided to launch the event in a specific character's annual and then do a two-part wrap-up and I think that Grant probably horse-traded where basically yes he's willing to host this first story which of course had to have a lot of exposition had to explain who the aliens were where they came from the basics of how they would function how people got their powers but in exchange for that he got to kill off one of the seven aliens in this first annual to build up Lobo which is a real shame because you had supermen and real powerhouses going up against these aliens and other annuals and none of them could take them on individually very well typically certainly couldn't blow their heads off with one stinking grenade but then there's Lobo and you know with this story what Grant didn't steal from other people he basically recycled he kept doing the joke where Lobo sexually harasses Layla and he gets hit for it and he comes back for more this is the kind of comic book that if they tried to publish it today Twitter would just annihilate DC for it the outhouse would be resetting their did DC do something stupid countdown clock you couldn't get away with this kind of misogyny in a comic today it's very tedious. So even if for some reason you decide you wanted to read a bunch of these Bloodlines books, I would mostly say to skip this one, except I really do like the art of Christian Alami. It's Simon Bisley, but tighter and less humorous, which is basically saying it looked like Liam Sharp. But also there are some elements of Jamie Hewlett, David Roach, and Brian Boland in there. So it makes it look quite nice. Alami also did a two-part Joker story for Showcase that was great looking. But my understanding, he was a very slow artist, and he just couldn't do a, any kind of regular books. So he ended up switching disciplines to inking. And if the name sounds familiar, it's probably because he became the inker of choice for Doug Monkey. When Monkey leveled up from being a guy who worked with writers like John Arcudi and Joe Kelly to a guy who worked with names like Jeff Johns and Grant. Morrison. As for Layla, she never amounted to much, which is illogical when you think about it, because the power she received gave her the ability to throw down with Lobo. Lobo could throw down with Superman. Therefore, Layla should be among the most powerful of the New Bloods characters and would, by extension, probably make a big impact in DC continuity. Instead, she became a character that would just stand around and watch events happen. She was in the Lobo's Big Babe Spring Break special. She was in two random issues of his ongoing series, number 37 and 41. I've read none of those three, so I can't speak to them. But I did read the two Bloodlines specials that came in at the back into the event. And what's funny is 
she and other Legion members show up at the tail end of the story. Everybody in the Legion group but her gives some kind of exposition and contributes at least some minor way to the defeat of the Bloodlines aliens. But she doesn't appear to do anything. And then she turned up in a couple of lighter issues of the Legion series before it ended. In number 66, she's just a floating head that happens to see Vril Dox introducing his infant son, Lyril Dox, and that son's ability to speak in a variety of languages because the child was so hyper-intelligent that even as an infant was bright enough to actually take over a section of Legion from Vril Dox. And then in number 69, Layla is one of the Legionnaires who gets caught up in a message sent out by Lyril that basically allows him to control their minds and turn them against the core Legion, particularly his father, which led into the creation of the book Rebels, R-E-B-E-L-S, which was a continuation of the Legion series, except the focus there was on a small pocket of resistors against Lyril's mind-controlled Legion. That book only lasted 17 issues. Layla only appeared in the last two. And once again, she was part of the core team of Lyril's Legion, but she wasn't seen in action. In the last scene of the last issue, I believe that Layla is shown as part of Captain Comet's reformed version of the Legion, free of Lyril's influence. And also free of Rill Dox, who went all away for a little while after his son tried to take over the universe. And that was it for her. Layla was supposed to be this promising Legion member who Vril was about ready to bring into the main team. I guess that amnesia must have cost her a lot of valuable skills or reasoning abilities because despite having all these incredible powers that she got where she can survive in the vacuum of space and beat up world-class anti-heroes... Nobody found any real use for her. And you might think, well, maybe we could go back and salvage this character. She's this powerful female. Maybe, you know, she's a diamond in the rough. But the problem is you'd have to reprint her first appearance at some point if you did that. And nobody wants to read the Slobo Annual, especially nobody with 2015 sensibilities. Society has progressed beyond putting up with the BS that's present in this annual. So we basically have to consign Layla to the dustbin of comic book history. All right, we received social media love from Alan Middleton, Ange, Between the Pages, Brian Mulvey, Cash Flag, Coffee and Comics Blog, Comic Reflections, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Ed Moore and Ed Moore Jr., Hicks, Joseph Crawford, Keith G. Baker, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun Podcast, Mark Sweeney, Richard Field, Ryan Daly, Siskoid, Son of Cthulhu, Senadalia Scarecrow, Trekker Talk, and Warlord Worlds. The Trekker Talk Podcast said something has happened to our friends, referring to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast i'm the gun coffee and comics blog between the pages and the relatively geeky podcast network which all took part in an april fool's bloodlines best event ever podcast and blog crossover trekker talk added can I listen to one more without having my spinal fluid sucked out kyle benning of the king size comics giant size fun podcast wrote love this episode it pairs great with the turok dinosaur hunter and boom and bust episodes from professor alan middleton ciscoid of the lonely hearts romance comics podcast and oh hot move or not wrote okay is the april fools that no one actually cares about bloodlines or is the mass of digressions that somehow come together as a coherent piece, bravo. Or that it turns out to be about Marvel's new breed. I can't tell, but I had fun listening to it. Actually, I think the DC Bloodlines podcast's contribution to the April Fool's stunt was to 100% straight seriously reconsider the Bloodlines event in the midst of a bunch of other people mocking it. So it was an April Fool on the April Fools that were trying to fool you with best event ever. I think it's also worth mentioning that I had planned to do a April Fool's bit on the Idlehead of Diablo podcast, and I just ran out of time and energy, so... 
Finally, Hicks of the Waiting for Doom podcast wrote, Wow, there really is a podcast for every subject, isn't there? I listened to the two Bloodlines episodes on the feed yesterday, and I really enjoyed the effort you put into contextualizing the series in terms of events and the comic book. Although I lived through it all, it isn't often you step back and see everything that led to a situation. Unfortunately, I've aggregated many of these annuals out of my collection over the years, but I'm sure I read almost all of them. Like most sane people, my vestigial affection is mostly around Hitman, and that's where the bookend issues are filed in my boxes. Though I was sufficiently dazzled by gunfire enough to send an enthusiastic letter that was printed in Gunfire Number 1. That's one more than I ever managed. I may have to dig out the Green Lantern 1 to have a closer look at the body horror brought by Mitch Bird in the Nightblade story. I still have a complete set of the trading cards in a folder, and they were much better than many of the DC sets of the time. If you enjoyed the covers of Layla featured in this episode, at least two of the three are available for download. The first was by the Valverde Brothers, the second is by Whitaker, and the third is by Henry Salvador. Also, I neglected to mention the undercurrent songs used in Episode 2 slash The Proper Pilot. So if you like music from our last episode, you should try to download songs like The Markets, Out of Limits, Nine Snails, The Way Out is Through, The Doors Break On Through to the Other Side, Tiger Army's Grey Dawn Breaking, The Pixies Break My Body, Lamb of God's Break You, Muses Time is Running Out, Fugazi's Break In and Break, Foo Fighters Break Out, Sparta's Breaking the Broken, and Lincoln Park's Breaking the Habit. We're clearly unafraid of being right dead directly on the nose around here with the musical choices. The preceding DC Comics related program is a non-profit fan production. Any copyrighted materials therein are believed covered under fair use, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please leave your comments on the DC Bloodlines blog, the Rollsbind Podcast's WordPress page, via email at emailofdiabalu at yahoo.com, or you can tweet the host directly on the Twitters at Commander Blanks. Spelled with an X. You can also talk to the whole Rolled Spine gang on the Twitters at Rolled Spine. We hope you enjoyed our little program and remember, spill the blood!